be. And you will find it on page 977. At that time, Jesus went through the cornfields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some ears of corn and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. And he answered, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, not, but only for the priest. Or haven't you read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple desecrate the day and yet are innocent? I tell you that one greater than, than the temple is here. If you had known what the words, those words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Going on from that place, he went into their synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And he said to them, If any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out, and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Dear Lord, speak through me as I attempt to teach this passage to your people. Amen. Please do keep uh, the Bibles open uh, at Matthew uh, chapter 12. There's a couple of other little bits of uh, scripture that we will have a look at, but that's where we'll be in for most of our time. And it's good to have it there in front of you, uh, just so you can make sure I don't go off the rails too much. Just a little bit, maybe. Now, who was at the quiz last night? One or two people. One very smug person sat in the corner. One or two people. Well, those of you who missed it, I've got a little quiz for you this morning. We had good fun last night, but here's another quiz for those of you who couldn't be there. But it's just got one question. And it may not feel like as much competition, but let me tell you, you're going up against the eight o'clock. Okay? And I asked them this same question this morning. And I'm going to tell you how they did. Um, but uh, we'll find out in the end. Who, who knows most? Now... 28th, uh, sorry, 26th of August, 1994. Something happened. 26th of August, 1994. Something happened. Can anyone tell me what happened? Be brave, come on. 1994. No, I think it was a little bit after that the Princess Diana died, but good effort. 
Good enough for being a brave gone at the back. Well done. It was the start of Sunday trading. It was when the law changed to allow Sunday trading. Now, a guy's a, a clever guy. He's probably a clever guy. No pun intended. <laughs> Apologies. Probably gets that all the time. And he's probably looked at the passage and realized we're talking about the Sabbath and, and thought that's about the right time. I must tell you that, Guy, you have won the quiz for the 9.30. The, the 8 o'clocks, although there weren't that many of them, um, most of them were, were a lot more alive at the time. Um, so there's some people who weren't even alive in 1994, but um, they, didn't, they didn't get it. They needed a clue. But you've got it without that. So Sunday trading is where that started, 1994. And this, for our nation... I think probably because of those laws, has almost become the very definition of Sabbath. It's almost like our nation understands Sabbath as this. It's the day you're not allowed to shop on. It's the day you don't do your shopping. We've distilled the Sabbath down to that one meaning, and that's pretty much what it means to us. Now, I don't know about you, but have you ever found yourself caught short? I know I have. You didn't get to the shops on the Saturday, and there's something really important you needed for the Sunday. Like my grapes this morning, it was almost as if the Lord wanted me to have a wonderful illustration, or that's what I'm saying anyway. Caught short, and you need to go to the shops, and so you dash in after church with your head down low, hoping you don't bump into another Christian. And horror of horrors, there they are, across the aisle from you, and you simply don't know what to say. And sometimes you even pretend you didn't see them, don't you? Duck away, duck quick behind the aisle. Well, let me tell you, as bad as that is for you, it is so much worse if you're wearing a dog collar. <laughs> but that's the way we've come to understand the Sabbath, isn't it? You don't do your shopping on the Sabbath. It's the day you go to church, you don't do your shopping. Well, uh, the Pharisees, although their understanding of the Sabbath was very different, in some ways it was very similar We've just got that one rule that we kind of stick to, or try to stick to. But the Pharisees, they had a whole number of reasons and laws and things that you must not do on the Sabbath. They had a whole load of things. But in just the same way that we perhaps have lost the understanding of what Sabbath is really all about, they too had lost the big picture They had rules which covered every single conceivable action that you could do on the Sabbath, but they had lost the big picture. They have lost sight of why they do what they do. Um, You can read about all the kind of things that um, they said you could and couldn't do on the the Sabbath. And it even happens today for for, uh, for strict juice. Um, They have a whole list of things that they can and can't do on the Sabbath. And one thing that I did read, which which just illustrates the kind of length which they went to, that apparently there are strict Jews now who believe that you shouldn't open the fridge on the Sabbath unless you have disconnected the light bulb that's inside. Because causing a light to come on is igniting something which was considered work. And so to light a light is considered work, and you shouldn't work on the Sabbath. And so therefore, don't open your fridge. But this was the length which they'd gone to. It may seem strange to us, but that was how they were understanding the Sabbath. 
Well, something else is going on in this passage too. It's not just about the understanding of the Sabbath. It's also about the attitude of the Pharisees. Now, when I spoke uh, a few weeks ago, I spoke about how the relationship between Jesus and the Pharisees, we almost have this picture that they were always enemies. They were born enemies. But that's not the case. The Pharisees would have been affirming of Jesus' ministry, certainly his early ministry, as him being an itinerant preacher, teaching the people what it is to follow God. That would have been the kind of ministry that they affirmed. But slowly and along the way, and as things go on, we see the relationship between Jesus and the Pharisees breaking down. Because Jesus is saying some things which are true, but they are not comfortable with. Jesus is causing people to think again about the things that they accept and maybe look behind that to meet with God. And more than that, Jesus was also telling them the truth, that God is here with you now, he's standing before you and he's speaking to you. And the Pharisees did not like that. And we see the relationship between Jesus and the Pharisees breaking down and down and down. And here we are, the Pharisees have got to the point when they are looking for any excuse to discredit Jesus. And two times they try and do it in this passage. Two times they try and undermine Jesus in order to put him out of business. Their thinking is, we don't like what this person's saying. He's teaching people things we don't want them to hear. So if we can discredit him, people will no longer listen to his teaching. Two times they try to do this in this passage, and two times they fail. And because of that, we see at the end of this passage, they decide that they're going to take another approach. They're going to try and kill him. And actually, we know that that was an endeavour in which they were successful. Although even in their success of ending Jesus, all they actually do is do the work of God. They unknowingly do the work of God, which brings salvation to his people. But let's have a look. They try and discredit Jesus. And the first way they try is by looking at his disciples who are walking with Jesus through a grain field. And as they're walking, the disciples are hungry. And what they do is they pick the grain and they eat it. Well, eating wasn't a problem, but picking the grain, that was harvesting. That fell under one of the many rules that the Pharisees had taken and unpacked about the Sabbath. See, God had given some simple rules about the Sabbath. We read uh, the Ten Commandments. Commandment number four talks about God uh, wanting his people to to honour the Sabbath, to rest and to do no work. But the Pharisees had given a whole list of rules and regulations as to, to understand what that meant. And for them to pick the grain was doing work. And so they said to Jesus, how can you possibly be who you say you are when your disciples are blatantly abusing the Sabbath? They are going against God's teaching. They are uh, violating the Sabbath. Well, Jesus has an answer for them. And his answer is twofold. He, in fact, he talks about two ways why that what they're saying is hypocritical. And, why, and what he's doing when he does this is he highlights to them how their understanding of the Sabbath has gone away from the way God wanted them to understand the Sabbath. They've lost sight of what the Sabbath was for. The first thing he talks about is David. You'll see it there in the passage. Verse 3, he answered them, Haven't you read, knowing full well that they had read, what David did 
when he and his companions were hungry. Now, as we know, David was a king in the Old Testament, king of uh, the people of Israel, and he was the greatest king, considered to be the greatest king by the Jews. He was um, above all others. He did what God, want, he, uh, what God wanted him to do. He was wholeheartedly for God. And yes, he made mistakes, but he always came back to God. And under him, the uh, kingdom of Israel was prosperous and it was the height of the kingdom. It was as it should be. He was God's king in God's place. There are no religious leaders or Pharisees who would want to ever in any way discredit David. David was the watermark. He was the standard to which they all were trying to live up to. He was one who had this great relationship with God, and so they wouldn't want to discredit him. But Jesus points out to them a point when David actually violated some of these rules and traditions in order to do what was right, which was to feed his men who were hungry. He ate the consecrated bread, which was only lawful for the priests to do. And so what Jesus very cleverly does here is he points out to the Pharisees, by all means, pick me up on a technicality, try and trip me up, but if you're going to condemn me for my disciples eating on the, for picking grain on the Sabbath, then you need also to condemn David. Now, of course, they're unwilling to do that. But he doesn't just stop there. And he points out to them another place where the law of Sabbath is seemingly violated. And that is by their own priests, the priests who uh, work in the temple. Verse 5, he says, Haven't you read in the, in the law that on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple desecrate the day and yet are innocent? See, the priests are working on the Sabbath. They're doing work. They're doing God's work on the Sabbath. Why don't you accuse them? No. They're unwilling to, uh, to, to discredit the, uh, David or to speak against the priest because actually the truth is that those people were doing God's work on the Sabbath. They were doing what God wanted them to on the Sabbath. And so they've missed the point. Jesus makes uh, another point in verse 6 which is sure to uh, upset them. But he says, I tell you that one greater than the temple is here one greater than the temple is here, he's speaking of himself. Then actually you try and work out what the law means and you try and apply it in lots of different ways, but actually what you don't realise is that you're speaking to God. My law. I'm the one who understands it. I'm the one who knows what it's there for. I'm the one who put it together. The second situation where the, disciples, uh, the, the Pharisees try and uh, trip up Jesus is in the synagogue. Jesus comes into the synagogue, and we read about this uh, in verse 9 to the end. Comes into the synagogue, and in the synagogue there is a man with a shriveled hand. A man who is in need of healing. We don't know why he was there. He may have come there often. He may have been planted there by the Pharisees. But needless to say, this man is there, and he is in need of healing. And when the Pharisees see this man, they realise they've got an opportunity here. Because they know what Jesus is like. They know that Jesus is compassionate and is merciful. They know that Jesus wants to heal those who are in need of healing. And they know that Jesus will want to heal this man. And so they try and use his kindness and his love against him. 
because for them to heal would be working on the Sabbath. So they ask him the question, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? If Jesus answers yes, then they can say, well, he's discrediting himself by his own words. But if he answers no, then he is not uh, acting in, 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 his, in the way of his nature, that he would go against his nature to, to, uh, to say it is unlawful to heal this man on the Sabbath. Jesus being clever, he answers their question with a question of his own. He responds to them, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? Of course they will. It wasn't against their laws. Of course they would lift out a sheep on the Sabbath because it needed lifting, it needed rescuing. Well, Jesus then points out, how much more valuable is this man than a sheep? And if you're willing to save a sheep on the Sabbath, but you're not willing to save a man on the Sabbath, then that's hypocrisy. That's hypocrisy. Your rules are flawed. You've tried to be very clever, and probably for good reason, to work out exactly what you can and can't do on the Sabbath. But in doing so, you have lost sight of what the Sabbath is all about. Jesus, in his response to them, demonstrates how corrupt their hearts have become. And their um, focus on the law, their religious observance of the law, means that they have lost touch with God's heart. You see, the law was given by God so that people would know how they should live in order to come close to God. That was the whole point of the law, to bring people close to God. People know how, what they should do, how they should do it, so that they could become friends with God, could be back into this relationship with God. But the Pharisees have become so obsessed with the law that they have taken their eyes off God. It's actually drawn them away from him. And in doing so, they have totally missed the point of what the law was all about. And that's why uh, the key verse for this passage is verse 7. And they're familiar words because we heard them earlier on in Matthew. Jesus used them when he was talking to the Pharisees again. So he is reiterating a point to them. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. Now those words are words from Hosea, chapter 6. I'll just read uh, some of that. So Hosea chapter 6, verses 1 to 6, says this. Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind up our wounds. After two days he will revive us. On the third day he will restore us, that we may live in his presence. Let us acknowledge the Lord. Let us press on to acknowledge him. As surely as the sun rises, he will appear. He will come to us like winter rains, like the spring rains that water the earth. What can I do with you, Ephraim? What can I do with you, Judah? Your love is like the morning mist, like the early dew that disappears. Therefore I cut you to pieces with my prophets. I killed you with the words of my mouth. My judgments flash like lightning upon you. For I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God, rather than burnt offerings. 
Now that passage talks about actions and the attitude of the heart. And Israel is being condemned there because although they may do the right things, their attitude is all wrong. They do not love God. Their love is fleeting. And what Hosea is saying is that actions are good, but they're no good on their own. Without the right attitude of heart, they are pointless. And that's what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees here. You do the right things, but you do not have the right heart. You have the wrong heart. You have lost your love for God. And in losing your love for God, you have lost your love for people. Because if you had the right attitude of heart, you would not ask the question, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? In this whole situation, we see the difference between the gap that has formed between Jesus and the Pharisees. The gulf that has come between them. Whereas the Pharisees are so obsessed with religious observance that have lost their heart. And Jesus knows the heart of the Father. And he understands the whole meaning of Sabbath. It's not simply about obeying rules. It's about something much, much more. In, uh, in Mark, uh, there's a similar passage that's very similar. Uh, but Mark, surprisingly, he doesn't often do this. Mark uh, cut a lot out. But it, in, in, in Mark, he's left a little bit in that Matthew doesn't have. And it's a familiar uh, passage, a familiar few words that are in Mark. And uh, he says this. He says, the Sabbath is made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Those familiar words to you? The Sabbath is made for man, not man for the Sabbath. That's essentially summing up what he's, what he's saying here. That the Sabbath was a gift from God to people. We were not created just so that we could observe the Sabbath. No, the Sabbath was given to people as a gift from God. And what you have done, Pharisees, is that you have made it a curse. You have made it a millstone round the neck of the people when actually it was supposed to be a sign of grace and blessing. Well, as we know, the Sabbath comes from creation. It comes from um, the story of creation, which talks about God working for six days and then resting. Now, it doesn't matter if you take that as a literal six days or not, but this idea that six days work and one day rest is right there at the very beginning of the Bible. And because it's right there at the very beginning, even before things go wrong with Adam and Eve, that's why the Pharisees thought it was so important. And they're right, it is so important. Six and one. Six days work, one day no work. One day you rest. That's what God did. That's what we should do. On top of that, it's also the fourth commandment. As I mentioned in Exodus 20, uh, verse 8, you will read about that commandment, the command to obey the Sabbath. Observing the Sabbath is important. And the idea is that on that Sabbath day, we do no work. Six days work, one day off. Six days work, one day off. Six days work, one day off. This is the way God made the world to be. And it's no surprise that we still work to a seven-day week. 
Now, some of us are very fortunate. We get two days off, not all of us. Some of us who are very, very fortunate get a lot more than that off, but <laughs> let's not talk about that now. <laughs> There's other work that we can do, not just at paid work, of course. Six days we work, one day off. Obviously, if you're clergy, it's the other way around. We have six days off and we work one day. <laughs> or at least that's what they say. <laughs> I'm yet to meet anyone for, that, for whom that's the truth yet, but there we go. Six days on, one day off. And I'm told, uh, I was at college with, um, for a year with a guy who was the most amazing character. Uh, and before he'd come to college to train to be a vicar, um, he'd been a uh, big cat um, um, tamer, not tamer, um, zookeeper. He, he'd worked in the zoo looking after big cats. He'd been in charge of the big cats, so lions and tigers. He'd worked with them all. And he was remarkable. The stories he told were, were terrifying, uh, but also remarkable. And he uh, was quite a, a very adept at, at working with animals, as you would imagine. But he was saying to me how um, in zoos, they noticed uh, a pattern with animals. That if you showed animals every day of the week in front of the people, that the animals were fine for a while, but eventually the animals got tired, they would get depressed, they would go off their food, they would hide in the back of their cages, and they wouldn't want to interact with the public they become quite secluded. And they wondered what was going on. And then when they started to realise that the animals needed time off, and they instituted this kind of six days on, and one day the animals get away from the public, the animals were a lot happier. It seemed that even in creation, even in these animals, it was true that they needed time apart. They needed time away from the limelight. Now, that's, that's what he said to me, and that's what um, a few other people have said to me who, who I know who uh, work in zoos and the like. Um, but it seems to, to make sense to me. This is the way God made the world. Six days work, one day off. It's the rhythm God instilled in creation. And if we ignore this rhythm, then we suffer. And we see it, don't we, with people who do not ever take time off. Whatever reason, we see them struggling. We see their um, emotions being affected. We see their energy levels being affected. We know that when we have good rest, we, uh, we, we work better. But why? Why does it work like this? Why is it so important? Well, I think it's because human beings have a tendency to think that we are the centre of the world. We have a tendency to think that we are the most important thing. And we think that everything comes down to us. Particularly men, I'm talking to us now, we think that if there's a problem... We've got to solve it. We think we've got to put things right. Because if we don't, who can? We like to think the whole world is resting on our shoulders and we need to do it all. That's our natural state. That's where we end up. Certainly true of me. And we also think that we are worth what we do. We think that our value comes from what we can contribute and you see this in the news an awful lot. And it's one of the reasons why um, I, I am against euthanasia. I'm not telling anyone what, what they should feel about these things, but for me, this is a reason why I'm against euthanasia. Because the euthanasia uh, narrative basically says that once you've stopped being a use to this world, once you can no longer contribute to this world, well, then we might as well do away with you. You're useless anymore. You have no purpose. You have no point to be here. That's why I'm against euthanasia, because I don't think that's true. I don't think we are worth what we do. But we see it everywhere. We meet two people. One tells us they're a doctor, 
The other tells us they're a bin man. And to our shame, we make a judgment on the worth of those people because of what we hear. It doesn't matter that they both put a 60-hour week in. We put a worth on what they do. And we do it, perhaps often subconsciously. Well, this is why we need Sabbath. Because on the Sabbath day, our work is done, even if our work is not done. On the Sabbath day, our work is done, even if our work is not done. That means that when the Sabbath day comes round, let me tell you now, it doesn't have to be a Sunday. It wasn't for Jesus. But whenever our Sabbath day is, when that day comes round, it doesn't matter if there is a pile of papers on your desk that need looking at. It doesn't matter if you've got reams and reams of things to do. It doesn't matter if you've got a list of long as your arm and the phone is ringing off the hook with people trying to get you to do things for them at that point. No. On the Sabbath day, you have no work to do, even if there is work. Why is that important? Because on the seventh day, whichever day it is for you, no one works. On the seventh day, you are loved by God. You are loved and valued by God as much on the seventh day, even though you do no work, as you are on the first day, the second day, the third day, the fourth day, the fifth day, and the sixth day, when you worked your socks off. There is no value in your worth on the seventh day. You see, on the seventh day, you start to realize where your worth really comes from. And your worth comes from the fact that you are created in God's image, you are a child of God, and he loves you, and he sent his son to die for you. That's what we realize on the seventh day. Because we have done no work to earn his favor, and yet we still have his favor. On the seventh day, we realize the truth, that we are loved because of who we are, not because of what we do. And if that's true on the seventh day, then it's true on the first day, and the second day, and the third day, and the fourth day, and the fifth day, and the sixth day. We realize that our worth doesn't come from what we do, it comes from who we are, and for the love God places in us. That's why the Sabbath is a gift. And that's why the, uh, Jesus has a problem with what the Pharisees have done. You see, although the Pharisees are saying to the people, you do no work on that seventh day, they're giving them a whole list of things to do, which is essentially a job. They're making them work, even though it's a Sabbath. They're working at not working. Now Jesus says to them, you've lost sight of this. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I want your hearts, not your actions. Great, give me your actions as well, but I need your hearts. So, should we shop on a Sunday? We've come full circle. That's where we started, wasn't it? That's the question. And it's the question we all really need to know the answer to because it means that the next time we bump into someone in Tesco's on a Sunday, we can perhaps have a proper conversation. <laughs> well, I'm sorry, I'm going to cop out. I'm not going to give you an answer. You know, that's down between you and God, actually. I don't think it's a salvation issue. I don't think when you get to the gates of heaven, God will say to you, well, you did everything right, but my goodness, that packet of biscuits... No, it's down between you and God. For some of us, 
It might be too much to say shopping on Sunday is okay, or whatever your Sabbath day is. That's absolutely fine. For others, may have different opinions. But as to whether or not you spend that one day a week doing no work, well, that's not an option. That's not an option. That's essential. We need that. We need it to keep us sane. We need it to give us strength. And most of all, we need it to give us the truth that we are worth something, not because of what we do. We don't earn our worth. We earn, we we are worth something because of who we are in God, because he loves us and because he was willing to die for us. Father, we pray that that truth would live long in our hearts. And Lord, however it looks, we pray that you would give us the discipline to live the Sabbath one day of every week so that we can be continually reminded of that truth. Thank you for this wonderful gift. Help us never to forget or misuse it. Amen.